Take your Bibles, please, and turn to either John chapter 3, where we sort of reach the vicinity of one of the most famous passages probably in American history. As we go through these next 16 chapters, certainly John 3, 16, uh, one of the most well-known, at least when I was growing up, one of the most well-known and maybe the only Bible verse people knew was John 3.16. And so we get into some territory that's well-known to us, but it's profound and important, just like all the Scripture is. So let us hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to, read, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses 1 to 15, uh, but I'm only going to deal with verses 1 to 8 today. So let us hear the word of the Lord as inspired by His Spirit. John chapter 3, beginning verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you're going to to underline one verse, there it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I believe if how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And listen to this that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. May he bind it to our hearts and give us grace to live these things out and be transformed. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we've reached the heart of the Christian faith. If we would see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. I pray for those who are born again, that they would be certain they're born again, and those who are who still walk in darkness, God, this morning, they would see the light of Christ and you would work in their hearts and they would be born again this very day. It would be their spiritual birthday. God, I pray for David Taylor and Jen as they are preaching this very gospel, as David's preaching this very gospel right now in Indonesia and Jen will soon join him to do the work there. Lord, I pray you'd pour out your spirit just just as you speak of the spirit as the wind here. The wind would blow in that place of immense spiritual darkness And the wind would blow like a great hurricane and would tear down every thought that sets it up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the darkness of false religion and idolatry 
the darkness of sexual immorality and 10,000 other sins beside would fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and, and confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the glory of God the Father. Or do that here and do that there and do that across this globe, this country and this world this morning for your glory. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was a kid back in the 1970s, and yes, we're starting with another 1970s illustration because that's what I know, but back when I was a kid, the phrase, born-again Christian, seemed to be on everyone's lips. Born-again Christian, can you imagine that? A time when people were all talking about seemingly born-again Christian. You had the Watergate scandal in the mid-70s and President Richard Nixon uh, resigned his office, and out of that came a man named Chuck Colson. I don't even know who Chuck Colson is. Chuck Colson was a very crucial person in my testimony uh, of coming to Christ and coming to ministry. Chuck Colson. Uh, you had his wonderful public conversion, an excellent book. He wrote giving his testimony called Born Again, and I commend that to you. It's an older book, but it's worth your time, I promise. This Nixon's hatchet man came to Christ, and God used him mightily. He used him in my life and the lives of thousands. I had the privilege of meeting him years ago and loved Chuck Colson. God used him mightily, but... The book was born again. It was a bestseller. Can you imagine that today? America elected a president in 1976 from my home state, Georgia, Jimmy Carter, who claimed to be a born-again Christian. Jimmy Carter. Newsweek magazine proclaimed 1976 the year of the evangelical. The year of the evangelical. Imagine that. It's not been that long ago. We're not that old. What does it mean to be born again? And what does that look like? I mean, isn't that the heart of what we believe as Christians? That's how, that's how we're brought into the kingdom of God, right? Being born again. And what does that look like? And what do our lives look like once we've been born again? Well, a great illustration of this is one of the most important days in church history. It was August of 386 in Milan, Italy. A man named Augustine of Hippo, 32 years old, had lived a grossly sinful life and had at least two live-in live -in girlfriends and lived a sexually promiscuous life, wandering far from the fold of God. <clears throat> his wonderful mom, praise God for wonderful moms like this, his mom Monica <clears throat> had been praying for him, uh, every, following him all over North Africa. Every time he'd move, she'd move and he'd pray and she would pray and say, God's going to get you, Augustine, God's going to get you, son. Well, in August of 386, God convicted Augustine of sin. He was converted gloriously to Christ and what would become the most, maybe perhaps the most important teacher of the early church. Our theology, what we believe about salvation, we owe to Saint we owe to Apostle Paul, but St. Augustine sort of teased this out for us. Augustine wrote this in his spiritual autobiography called The Confessions. I commend that to you as well. He said, I flung myself down beneath a fig tree and gave way to the tears which now streamed from my eyes. All at once I heard the sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house. Now listen to the, listen to the, the details. He heard the sing-song voice, children singing a song in a nearby house. He said, whether it was the voice of a boy or a girl, I cannot say. But again and again it repeated the refrain. Tole lege, tole lege, tole lege, which is Latin for take up and read, take up and read, take up and read. So I hurried back to the place where 
Alypius, my friend, was sitting. He was with his, his friend. Took from him the book of Paul's epistles, and my eyes fell on Romans 13, 13 and 14, which says, Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels or in rivalries. Rather, arm yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. I had not wished to read more and had no need to do so, to read any further. For in an instant, as I came to the end of that sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded my heart and all the darkness was dispelled. Augustine of Hippo was born again. In an instant, in a moment of time, the things he saw as delightful, now he saw as darkness. The things he had seen as darkness, he now saw as light. Another powerful illustration of the new birth is seen in the conversion of to Christianity, the great C.S. Lewis, the great apologist in the last century, a brilliant man. From 1925 to 1931, he was a professor of English and literature at Oxford University. He was a skeptic. He didn't believe the claims of Christ. The Bible was just another book. But one evening, September of 1931, Lewis went on a walk, a very famous walk now, with J.R.R. Tolkien, of course, the author of the great Lord of the Rings, which we quote here quite often if Clay and I are preaching, right? And Hugo Dyson, another one of his colleagues at Oxford, both of them. And in the conversation, God began to work in Lewis's heart unbeknownst to Lewis. Setting the stage for what was about to happen next, Lewis got on a bus and made a trip to the zoo. Now, we have a lot of children here. We go to the zoo. You can imagine this, right? You get on a trip, you go to the zoo. What happened on the way to the zoo? Well, here's what happened. Here's how he told it. I know very well when, but hardly how, the final step toward Christ was taken. I was driven to the zoo at Whipsnade, one, sun, one sunny morning, when we set out, get this, when we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But when I reached the zoo, I did. Wow. And yet I did not exactly spend the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. You know, there's a wokeness and there's a wokeness. <laughs> He's awake, he said. I was aware that now I'm awake. And we think, do we not? The, the words of the great hymn of uh, John Newton echo in our minds. I once was lost, but now I am found twice blind. But now I see. And that is Augustine's testimony. That is Lewis's testimony, and that is your testimony. It's my testimony, that's your testimony. And I've heard your testimony as you join the church. You tell me, one time I was just kind of minding my own business, and God did this. A new birth. And we see it. Jesus speaks of this very reality in this brief encounter with Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, comes to question Jesus about who are you and why are you here and what is all this talk about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus helps us to understand what it means to be born again. When we look at verses 1 and 2, here he says, 
There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus by night. He was afraid, a little bit ashamed. He says, Rabbi, mean teacher, we know your teacher come from God. He's beginning to believe. He's beginning to have his eyes opened, it seems, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. So Nicodemus says this, and then Jesus said something that's kind of odd to our ears. If we don't study the Bible often, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's his answer. So what is Jesus telling Nicodemus here? I mean, Nicodemus is a teacher among the Jews, a theologian par excellence, and he should understand what Jesus is saying. And yet, Jesus said, you don't get it. But this shows that God had not yet opened his eyes. You kind of see some hints here, don't you? Him saying that only God could say this. Only God could work these miracles and do these things. And unless God is with him, we, I, I, don't, I don't believe he's Again, he's coming under cover of the cloak of darkness because he doesn't want to be persecuted by his people. They don't, they're already beginning to oppose Jesus. But God hasn't yet opened his eyes. He does not yet understand the new birth. I think the very incident here with Nicodemus proves the truth of the new birth itself, that salvation, as we're going to see, and as you know already, but it's good to be reminded that salvation is a miracle, the greatest miracle in the history of the world, I would argue. Well, he shows here what God must do in here. What, what must happen? What is the new birth? We call this, the theological term for this is regeneration. That's, not a, that's a good word. Say, so, well... That's the new birth. He's being born again. It's a new birth. It's what we mean when we say we are born again Christians, as if there's any other kind of Christian. I'm a non-born again Christian. That is a conflict in terms. There's no such thing as a non-born again Christian. I'm not sure what the media shows how much theology they know, right? In 1976, the, the born again Christian. There's the non-born again Christian. No, no such thing, right? You know that. I'm glad you know that. Regeneration is the act of God alone in which he renews the human heart by his spirit, making it alive when it was dead. Some of you this morning have come here, no doubt, and your heart is dead to the things of God. You, can't, you won't be saved because you can't be saved unless God works in your heart. I heard someone say recently, well, you can't just be saved any old time. That's true until God works in your heart. Until he says, to your blind eyes see, and you see. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Regeneration, of course, then gives birth to faith and enables you to believe. It opens the spiritual eyes of a blind sinner and unstops the spiritual ears of a deaf sinner. And it sets their hearts free. This is what happened to you if you're in Christ. It frees us from bondage to sin so that we may see the magnitude of our own sin. This infinite offense it is against this holy God. And see that Christ is the only Savior. That Christ is the, a sufficient Savior, and it causes us to rest our entire weight of our eternal destination on Christ. Nor the name given under heaven by which we must be saved. We rest our internal weight on Him. That's what faith is. That's what believing is. I got on an airplane. Not a huge, I fly all the time, but I don't like it. I had to trust that that pilot knew what he was doing. I almost want to ask him, are you a good pilot? Is this a good plane? I just had to trust, right? I rested all my, all my bodily health on the fact that this man could fly me to California with these men and back. Rested all my weight on that. This is resting all your weight on Christ. 
He's a sufficient Savior. As Jesus tells Nicodemus here, no one can understand spiritual realities unless he or she is born from above. For me, it was March 20th. Now I'm going to, you're going to say when? March 20th, 1977, before most of you were born. I was born again. God worked in my heart that morning and said, let there be light. And there was light and I came to Christ. That was my day. I underwent a new birth. A little church no one's ever heard of. Ivy Long Baptist Church down in Blairsville, Georgia at the front of the church. God did it. And I wasn't looking for God, but he found me. 1977. Because seeing is believing. Seeing here. No one can see God. Seeing is a synonym for faith. And God must grant us a new birth before we're willing to believe. He must move our wills. He must set our wills free. They're bondage of sin. We cannot please God without Him enabling us to please Him. Because Augustine's prayer in the Garden of Milan was, give what you command and command what you will, because he knew he could do nothing for God, nothing that would accrue salvation or nothing good in the eyes of God. He was dead in his trespasses and sins. And so he said, give what you command and then command what you will. But you've got to give it. And God gives it. That's the new birth. Seeing is believing. Regeneration comes before faith. You cannot, you don't believe and then cause your regeneration. No, no, no. We believe that God opens your eyes and then you believe from your heart. That's been renewed. The renewal must come before the believing. Sight comes before faith. I mean, God causes chooses to regenerate us before we will ever choose to embrace him. And that's very important. He chooses us and then we come to him. Seeing is believing. It's necessary. Jesus used the words unless here. That's an important word. Unless a man be born again, unless, it's a conditional statement, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're not going to be a good person and go to heaven. You're not going to go to church at Christ Fellowship or Third Avenue or Clifton or Redeemer Baptist Church in Blairsville, Georgia or anywhere else and be born again and go to heaven just because you're on the rolls of that church. You're not going to be the, the son or the daughter of a pastor. Their faith is not your faith. You must trust in him. You must repent of your sins and believe in him and trust in him alone. Giving lots of money to worthy causes will not save you. It will do anything for you in the sight of God. Not at all. It's necessary. You must be born again unless. Regeneration is necessary. Why does God have to do it? Because all descendants of Adam and Eve, that's us, all of us have inherited their, our sin and we're morally, we're sin, their sinful condition, we're morally incapable, unable to come to Christ unless he sets us free and enables us, draws us to himself. That's why we pray that every Sunday here, that God would draw you if you don't know him, that he'd open your eyes, unstop your deaf ears, and draw you, irresistibly draw you effectually to himself. I don't want to leave anything to chance. Salvation is not up to you, it's up to him. Why? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I've done a lot of funerals. I've never seen a dead man get up and do something, ever, not once. I once heard of a lady going to the funeral home and she was going to raise the dead and she talked and she prayed and she strutted and she posed and she yelled and she screamed and nothing happened. Dead men can do nothing and that's who you are. 
that's who you are. You are dead in trespasses and sins. And Jesus must say, let there be life and let there be light in the darkness. And then you come to life. It's like Lazarus. Turn to Ezekiel 37. Or you can listen. Powerful, powerful Old Testament passage. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought a, me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones, skeletons, skulls, crossbones, the whole bit, dry bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. In other words, there was no life in them. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So they hear the word of God. What are we doing right now? You're hearing the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will, don't miss the language here, I will cause, God says this, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will breathe life into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. That is a picture of your salvation and my salvation. He puts breath in you, the breath of his spirit in you. He puts sinews and and flesh on the bones and he says, come out of the grave. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. They said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. He spoke the word of God. Look what happens next. I spoke the word of God as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly vast army. That's what's happened here at Christ Fellowship Church if you're in Christ. He said, live and you've risen from the dead you were dead in your trespasses and sins he said can the dry bones live oh lord you know we preach the word this is why we do this every sunday because this is what you need we could be talking about lots of things here couldn't we we could entertain you with lots of tales and heard a had a lady once say we really just want you to tell us some homespun yarns because that's what we're used to hearing and i said you know i could tell you a lot i've got lots of them i'm full of them that's not what you need your dry bones need to live. You need the very living breath of God. It's the word of God. That's why we preach the word of God to the glory of God. And we don't apologize for that, do we? Never, never, never. Never. Whether we are shrinking, whether we are growing, whatever we do, we will preach the word of God because it's what the people of God need for the glory of God. It's what lost people need. It's what the found people need. So the dry bones will live. What a beautiful picture. I love that. Spurgeon said, God's regenerating power creates a hatred of evil in the chosen seed. And he does. We're born from above. Back in John now. 
James Boyce said, the image of rebirth helps us understand what happens when God takes initiative in salvation. It's by grace alone. He goes into, he, he, tells, he tells Nicodemus here, he says, after verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. You can imagine Nicodemus' reaction. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And it sounds confusing, doesn't it? Like, what do you mean by being born again? Now, let me tell you something. Here's a, here's a lesson for us, just a total parenthetical statement. We have to explain it to people now. There's no biblical knowledge, virtually no biblical knowledge in this land anymore. You're going to have to go into it. You're going to have to say, here's what it is, and here's what it ain't. You know, we have to do that now. Jesus does a great job here. How can a man be born again? He's old. Can he enter it a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus explains it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. God takes the initiative. I mean, one cannot be born physically by his or her own doing. This is his point. You can't do it. You didn't choose the circumstances of your birth, the year of your birth, the place of your birth, nothing. Right? I, I didn't either. But it's only when the human egg and sperm join and grow and finally enter this world that birth occurs. It's a process initiated and nurtured by parents. In the same way, spiritual rebirth is initiated and nurtured by our Heavenly Father. That's his point here. That's what Jesus is saying. It's outside our doing. Why didn't Nicodemus understand? Did he not have enough information? No, no, no. It's because the wind of the Spirit had not opened his heart. Which brings me to my second main point. The new birth is a sovereign act of God. So, so if we would see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. The new birth is a sovereign act of God. I mean, verse 5 does seem a bit strange, doesn't it? It does even to our ears, and especially if you don't know, you've never heard this before. It's very strange. When Nicodemus this question, how can a man be born when he is old? And then Jesus says, unless one born is born of the water and the spirit, cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does he mean by that? Well, we don't agree on that always in the church, but here's what I believe he means by that. Born of the water. Let's take them in, in order here. Commentators are divided over this, and here's what I think. Because you, I'm called to believe what I think, right? <laughs> so uh, here's, what, here's where I, th I think, what I think this means. I think it's very simple, actually. I don't think we make it harder than it should be sometimes. Scholars are, have the infinite capacity for taking something that's simple and making it difficult. And I know I can do that sometimes. So let's make this clear. Born of water. I believe this is referring to the cleansing through Christ. Born of the water. We're cleansed by the water. Later pictured in baptism. Now, this does not refer to baptism because that would make no sense since Christ nowhere makes John's baptism a requirement for salvation. It would make no sense to these, this audience either, okay? But I think it refers to the change of heart, the cleansing that comes through the Spirit. I mean, water could also refer potentially to the Word of God, I think, since Ephesians 5, 26 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having, her, having cleansed her by the washing of the Word. I don't think you have to choose. This fills it. The Bible fills all this full of, of meaning, doesn't it? It tells us as we go through the epistles what the Gospels mean. Regeneration, that word we use literally means take back to the head. Think about Eden. Think about before the fall. We're being taken back to the head of our race, the human race. Regeneration means we're, our hearts are changed so that they're made new. 
Like the creation was new. Man was new. Adam and Eve were born sinless and they were not sinful until they sinned and the world was fallen. Andrew sin into the world. Peter tells us how regeneration took place. First Peter 1.23, I think I have this on the board. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. There's why we preach the word of God. And our confidence is not in my ability to persuade you, any degrees we might have uh, attained, anything like that. Our hope, our only confidence is in the living and abiding Word of God to transform you, to save you, and to sanctify you. That's it. That you be born of water. Being born again, not a perishable seed, imperishable through the living, abiding Word of God. God's Word is used by the Holy Spirit as an instrument to bring sinners to a knowledge of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so we must preach this with confidence, not thinking, well, all we've got is the Bible. No. Oh, we got the Bible. We need the Bible. We need God's Word. Have confidence in our evangelism. You say, well, I'm not really comfortable sharing the gospel. Listen, you just get the Word of God out there and the Holy Spirit, He will do the work. The pressure's not on you. Think about how you were saved. Did someone pressure you and they came to explain why Christianity is true over against, um, uh, the, you know, over against quantum physics or something like that? Well, no, they didn't. It's just the Word of God. I was, when I was saved... John 3 was preached and I was saved because the Spirit worked in my heart. We must take it to our neighbors and to the nations where it's never been heard like but Brother David is doing right now with confidence. Romans 10, 14 and 15, 17. How will, then, how will they call on him in whom they've never not believed and how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We've sent missionary to the field, sending another missionary to the field, armed with the word of God against these powers of darkness. And the darkness is no match for the light of the gospel. We believe that. Paul goes on, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So hearing, seeing is believing. Faith comes by hearing the word of Jesus Christ. And that word alone, it's all we need. Indonesia needs the gospel. California needs the gospel. Georgia and Kentucky and Arkansas and Alabama and Russia and Ukraine need the gospel. This is why we preach it. So they'll be cleansed by the, by the washing of Water in Christ and born of the water, born of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means being born of the Spirit right here. I think that's what First Peter 2.23, or 1.23 rather. Through the living and abiding Word of God by the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. Cleansing and indwelling of the Spirit. They're speaking of here, I think, those two things. You're washed free from all sin. Walk and wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God has unzipped you. He's climbed inside you and the person the third person of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity is living inside you now, transforming you from the inside out. That's how we speak of Christianity as a heart religion, that your heart's being changed. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, maybe last Sunday. In verse 6, he contrasts this with the birth of a baby. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
One is a picture of the other, but they're not the same thing. The birth of a baby is a picture of you being born again, but they're not the same thing. Because he says this in verse 8, the spirit, the wind blows where it will. And you, you see it, you feel it, but you don't know where it's going, do you? I've always been fascinated by the wind. I'm fascinated by tornadoes because I've been a near miss in two of the largest outbreaks in U.S. history. I'm fascinated by what the wind can do. And yet, I mean, the tornado, that's all the dirt and stuff, right? That's why that cloud, but you don't see the wind. I'm fascinated by what the wind does. It generates electricity, good things, and it destroys cities. Pushes water way inland, doesn't it? You don't see it, but you feel its effect. You know what it's doing. Jesus said, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Here's his point. You can harness the wind. You can make it blow in a direction. We can, you know, we, we, we make power by the wind. Sometimes you can harness it. But in the same way, we, you, you, I mean, you cannot harness the wind. Rather, we harness it in some ways. But we, don't, we don't control the direction. We don't control the strength. We don't control the wind in that way. In the same way, we cannot dispense the Holy Spirit and cause him to change hearts. We pray for revival Always, 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 but we do not affect it. I grew up with revival every March and every October. But really what we meant was those are evangelistic meetings, right? We can't bring revival. I wish I could. I would zap you. <laughs> you could zap me. I saw how it works. The Spirit blows where He wills, where God wills. In regeneration, the work of the Holy Spirit works upon those who are spiritually dead, where we are now new creations, being recreated in the, in the, uh, in the image of God. We don't desire what's good one minute, and as C.S. Lewis put it, then we desire something different. It's in, the, it's, it's in a, a moment in time that this happens, and yet sometimes our awareness of it doesn't catch up with regeneration itself. Sometimes we become aware over time. So Lewis did this, right? He's like, I mean, Augustine was instantly aware he'd been set free, something had happened, and Lewis is kind of like, I went to the zoo and I came back a Christian. It wasn't the zebras that led me to the Lord, it was God who did it, right? The wind blew and he worked, and now I'm, once was lost, and now I'm found, twas blind, now I see, and that's your story as well. Happens in a moment in time, but you may have perceived it. I embraced my salvation really over a number of years, even though it happened in a moment in time. I grew and I, re- I started to understand it and realized it really took me a long time to understand what had happened. It's instantaneous. But we don't like this. We don't like this. It unsettles us a little bit. It's unsettling in John Piper's three reasons the new birth unsettles us. That regeneration comes before faith. One, it confronts us with our hopeless spiritual and moral and legal condition apart from God's regenerating grace. There is no hope apart from His grace. You are hopeless without His grace. So what should I pray for? If I'm not born again, pray that he will enable you to believe. He will set your heart free. He will grant you repentance and faith. And he will answer that. He will answer that prayer. He said in John 6, if any man comes to me, I will no wise cast him out. Second thing, reason it unsettles us, Piper says it's unsettling because it refers to something that is done to us, not something we do. John 1, 12 and 13. But all who believed in the name, we saw this a few weeks ago, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the will of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. We do not cause a new birth. 
He alone causes it. Thirdly, it confronts us with the absolute freedom of God. We want the freedom of the will, but we deny the freedom of God. That bothers us that God would choose one or not the other. It's our democratic impulse we have. I mean that little d. Don't throw anything at me. You all have a democratic little d, democratic impulse, so do I. Especially if you, the closer you grew up in the deep south, the more this asserts itself and raises its head. We want to choose. We will not have a God who does. This is why we don't like this. It unsettles us, right? It takes it out of our hands. It's not in our control. We love to be in control. We're control freaks. Everyone, you say, well, so-and-so is a control freak. Well, so are you, and so am I. We all are, aren't we? We want to control. That's why I don't like flying, because that fellow up there, it goes into the turbulence, and it's like this, you know, and thinking, man, I hope he's got the control of this thing. I can't fly a plane, but I want to. <laughs> the freedom of God. We're dead in our sins. Dead men can do nothing. Therefore, if we were to be born again, we would rely ultimately and decisively on God. His decision to make us alive will not be a response to what we as spiritual corpses do. But we, what we do will be in response to him making us alive. It's unsettling at first. It's glorious I've been saved. I've been saved for 1977. I'll let you do the math in a long time. I'm not unsettled by it now. Praise God for it. But at first... When I first encountered the election, man, if someone told me that, whoo, I was not happy about that. I was, I, was, I was fighting that. You're telling me God did this, I did nothing? That's what I'm telling you. Oh, boy. I forgot who shared that. Well, I think it was your brother, Lisa. Your brother, he'd become a Reformed Christian. He was zealous, and boy, he sat me down and got me in a headlock and said, you're going to believe in election regeneration. And boy, I felt that. But God must do it. And it's glorious that he does it, isn't it? Because the God who saves you is the God who keeps you saved. I mean, we're not saved by praying a prayer, or by doing good works, by magic real estate. I was not saved because I came to the altar that morning and prayed through, prayed a prayer, a magic prayer. I actually was there with my father. My dad was with me. It was us and several other men, young men. And father, my dad went, I'd been under conviction for a long time. But really, I laid in bed and, and I'd, I'd, I'd know if I, if I die, I'm going to go to hell. I'm not going to go to heaven if I die because I'm a terrible, awful sinner. And this went on for a long time. I remember I'd ask God, and after that, I asked God if, if, if we didn't have air conditioning back then, and so we'd have the windows open. I'd say, God, if I'm saved, let a dog bark, and some other dog would bark, <laughs> you know, something like that. I had an awareness of God and my own sin, and, but God did it in his time. So we're not saved by being a church member, by going to church. Why? Because the wind rules the day. It's the wind, not us, who rules the soul. Salvation is a, a sovereign miracle. So you're saved by God's word, the wind of the spirit, and the word. And that's how you continue to have faith. Now, hear this. Our conversions are not all the same. They're not, they are the same. They're exactly the same on one hand. On the other hand, they're not all the same. Look at Augustine. His was very emotional, very laden with emotion. There was a, an intense desire and awareness of his sin and eagerness to follow God and to flee from his sin. And then there's Lewis who went to the zoo. And came back a Christian. And then became aware of it kind of later. And, and your testimony. You could share your testimony. It would be very different than mine. I mean, I grew up in church and I'd heard the gospel and hell and heaven preached hot and heavy every Sunday. Sometimes it's all I heard, but it's what I heard. And praise God, I heard it by that faithful man who preached it. And I had a very emotional experience. I poured out my heart before God. And I have friends that will say, there's just never really been a time when I, I don't really remember what happened or where it happened. And, and that's true. 
but whichever happened, God did it. He regenerated your heart, my heart. They're not all the same. I mean, I've heard a lot of your testimonies. You've joined the church. They're all different. I've never heard two are the same at all. I mean, think about Paul was struck blind on the road to Damascus. This sensational, gripping, emotional conversion after encountering the living God and his word. And then you have Lydia, my daughter's named after. My Lydia, named after this Lydia. Acts 16, 1 says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And that was it. God opened her heart she was saved. We have no clue that there's some kind of intense emotional experience. Just she was saved. Almost like Lewis. Like, whoop, lost, whoop, saved. God does it. I think sometimes we expect to, you know, we're jealous of other people's testimony. We say, well, I wish I'd been saved out of drugs and alcohol and all this. No, no, no. God does it in as many different ways as our people. And yet they're all the same because he does it by the power of his grace, his sovereign mercy and regenerating us and making our hearts willing to believe. What does a born-again Christian look like? As we finish up up here, what does it look like? We don't leave this unapplied. Here are some marks of a born-again Christian because the new birth bears fruit where once there was only a withered tree. That's my last point. I just want to run through this really quickly. How do I know God's worked in my heart? Well, Jesus said, you'll know a tree by what? By its fruit. Apples by, apple tree by apples. Orange grove, well, that's oranges. Cherry tree, George Washington didn't chop down. Well, cherries, right? We know. To slip that historical fact in there. But John, the author of this gospel, tells us precisely what a regenerate life should look like in his epistle of 1 John. We'll run through these really quickly. Mark 1, that gives us confidence in the new birth. When the, the person born of God believes that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, that's, a, that's where we start, right? That's where John starts. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 1 John 5, 1, same language, same writer. Second mark. So the man, if God believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the one promised in the Old Testament. Secondly, the man born of God does not go on sinning. They say, well, gosh, we're a, we're a congregation full of lost people then. First John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. You can outline that or underline that. Makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Here's what he means by that. It's not perfectionism. No such thing as perfection in this world, although I wish there were because I'm a Christian. Sin is no longer your Lord and Master. Jesus is your now your Lord and your Master. And you don't make a practice of sinning in an unrepentant way, in a high-handed, unrepentant way where you just say, well, I sin, oh, well, that's God. God forgives. That's his job. As one famous rock star said, No, 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 you know you're a sinner, you hate it, you flee from it, like we said a couple weeks ago. So the man, person born again is not going sinning. Thirdly, the man born of God does righteousness. And I would add loves righteousness, 1 John 2, 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure, meaning that God is righteous, Jesus is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Your desires are different. You desire something different. Now the execution of it? Your mileage may vary. At least it does with me. But you hate it. Oh, I hate it when I sin. And sometimes that's prideful. I blow up for my kids and think I'm a pastor and they know that. And boy, oh boy, sin, and they don't expect that. But no, no, they know I'm a sinner. 
But you love righteousness and you hate sin increasingly more. And the longer you walk with the Lord, I should hate sin a lot more than I do after 1977. I should. But I hate it. That's the difference. You'll love the things God loves. You'll hate the things, only the things God hates. Pray that every day. I pray that every day. Help me to love the things you love, hate the things you hate. Only those things. You'll be in good shape if that, if God, and God will answer that prayer. Fourthly, fourth mark, there's six of these. A person born again loves the brethren. 1 John 3, 14. We know, and here's, we know, how we know. We know that we pass out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love, in other words, love his brother in Christ, or sister, her, her sister in Christ, abides in death. If there's no love for the body of Christ, no love for other Christians, then you have to seriously question whether you've been born again at all. Loving his church, that's why people tell me, well, I can just worship God on Sunday morning out there in a tree stand and, you know, in Kentucky or Indiana or Georgia or wherever, and, well, I don't need the people of God. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. Well, this tells me something different about the condition of your heart. You're going to love God's clumsy bride. I mean, our denomination right now, I mean, we're a mess. We're a hot mess. And anybody who's watched that for five minutes and denies that is not watching very carefully. However, these are the people of God, and we still love the people of God. Now, the SBC is not the kingdom. I, I know that. But we love them, and we pray for better things from ourselves and from our denomination, from the people of God, right? Boy, are we ever clumsy. And the world don't, doesn't understand. They expect perfection. You know, the world, they're saying, well, boy, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Look at this, you know, this scandalous report. We're being transformed, and we pray. Uh, we, we love the people. We love God's clumsy bride. Fifthly, he overcomes the world. A Christian, a one born again, 1 John 5, 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. In other words, you seek to resist temptation, as I preached last week, and obey God's word. You persevere in the faith. To quote the great 80s band, Journey, you don't stop believing right? They didn't change it that way, but I'm going to put it that way. You don't stop believing. You're overcoming the obstacles of the world by God's grace. You're overcoming the world. That's it. And you're doing that by God's grace, by the way. And yes, you're participating in that. You don't participate in your salvation, but you participate in your sanctification. And again, that that's still a work of God's grace. You're at work because he's at work in you. Finally, sixthly, a person who's been born again keeps himself from the wicked one. 1 John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God, now I'm, I'm, you see what I'm, what I'm doing here, I'm, I'm, I'm selecting this phrase about being born of God and what John says about it. This is like the application of John's gospel. 1 John is. You see how God's genius, how God ingeniously works the Bible out, right? He's given it to us. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him you may be harassed by the devil you will not be possessed by the devil you'll be harassed you're going to be harassed that's one of the marks of being a Christian there's a real sense in which your problems aren't really beginning until you're born again Boy, your problems are just beginning we keep ourselves on the wicked one evil one does not touch him we we were not unaware of his schemes we're wise to his schemes because of scripture we do not relent to him J.C. Ralph said, this is a man or woman born of the Spirit. 
where these fruits are to be seen, there is the new birth of which our Lord is speaking. He that lacks these marks is yet dead in trespasses and sins. I leave you and ask you this. I close with simply with this. Have you experienced a new birth? Do you know that you know that you know? Because here's what would be tragic. It would be tragic. We call everything a tragedy, by the way, but here's the real tragedy. That you come to this church or any church and you sit here week after week after week after week. Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day. And when you stand before God, you are cast out. You hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Because this book is a living book and something is happening right now inside of you, whether you know it or not. Either you are growing more soft by the Spirit to the truth and it's being applied to your heart, or you will go away again after having heard the gospel, the truth of God's new birth, and your heart will be hardened just by another degree or two. Because this is living and active, sharp word of God that penetrates the division of soul and, and body and heart and spirit. It's working on you. Have you been born again? Have you come to the place in your life where you have seen your sinfulness? You've seen Christ as the only Savior, that he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father by him. And you have fl flown to him. You flee to the cross of Christ where your sins have been paid for. Have you come to that place really and truly? I know people in seminary who have gotten saved in the seminary. We're prone to deception, beloved. Prone to deception. You say, well, no, that's me. Well, then I'll ask you this question. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? I mean, do you really believe it? That really you just need to proclaim this word this morning and God will work. It's not magic. It's the spirit of God. Is your confidence in this? We need to be, we should be the most evangelistic people on earth. It is clear to me that my dear friend David Taylor this morning is in a place of danger and darkness, and yet, in joy, he trusts in the power of the gospel. I've seen the gospel take root in David Taylor, by the way, and completely transform him, and it's been glorious. Wow. And this morning, he's preaching that very gospel to a, there is no more hostile culture on earth than the one he's in to what we're teaching here. He's facing danger and death, and yet he goes, because his confidence, and our confidence, we go to Chicago here in August, must be in the power of the gospel. Jorge Rodriguez, pray for that church. They're preaching, they're preaching the gospel, and people are coming to Christ. I hear testimony of my dear friend, Bill Chicot, my best friend. You know about him, you pray about, pray for him. Down in Blairsville, where our, our friends, uh, uh, the Burkheads, have come here from, and I, I hear testimonies regularly. We, we were in my study, we told the gospel, and they got saved. Because we believe in the power of the gospel. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing, I mean, it's the power of the gospel. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That God, you preach it and we come to Christ. Not because it's magic, because God does it. We had an, uh, an individual attack our faith recently. 
to which, and my answer was, they just need the gospel. Our answer is not to attack back and strike back. It's to preach the gospel boldly and let God, God work in their hearts. To subdue that wickedness just like he did in your heart and just like he has in mine. But do you believe it? Do you believe in the power of the gospel? And are your activities reflecting that? Not everyone should go to Indonesia or Georgia or Chicago or Africa. But everyone should evangelize. And I don't say this to like guilt trip on you. This is preaching this to me too. Because we really believe it. Not because we just we want to win arguments or debates. But we go out and we take it and God does it. If I could have us known for one thing, this church, one thing, people would say, you know, they may be small, but man, they believe the power of the gospel, and they preach it, they take it out, and God works. Well, do you remember, and I've preached this here before, the thing that looks pathetic and small and insignificant in the world's eyes, it's of no reputation, boy, that's just the thing God uses, isn't it? I mean, I know that's true of me. <laughs> it's laughable that I bring some kind of power to the pulpit or something. All the things I bring to the table, I don't bring anything to the table but weakness. That's it. Just redneckiness and weakness, and that's all. It's the power of God and the gospel, right? So he gets all the glory, and we get great joy. Let's be known for that, brothers and sisters. If you would see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Let's pray. Father, know the hour is late and our, our people have been listening long and I thank you for their attention. Father, I pray that we would be known for that one thing. For our utter confidence that our weakness, the strength of your gospel is made perfect. That we would know that the power of God belongs not to us, but to you. And God, I pray that you'd work in every heart here. Convince us of that truth and give us grace to go from here and act upon it. And God, I know there's someone here who doesn't know this, who does not know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they presumed on your grace. Maybe they're trusting in their church membership. Work in their hearts. Open their eyes to see the wickedness of their rebellion against you and the glory that's found at the foot of Calvary in the death of your son and his resurrection from the dead and grant them grace to flee to you and find redemption this day to live for your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.